What do you think, Kai? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, to quote Gabby, it's in the middle for a reason. Oh, oh. Matt. We need shirts. <laughs> Kyle, you, you are a fan. I told you. Oh I do my God. research. <laughs> do my research. The glasses aren't just for show. <laughs> Welcome to Minor Notes, the podcast where we share our thoughts about an album from top to bottom. No skips, and we give some minor notes. That's right. That is Kate Griffin. And that's Gabby Alvarez. Welcome. If you're new here, Gabby is a music business professional, and I'm a songwriter, and this entire second season of Minor Notes is dedicated to the discography of Foo Fighters. Yes, and today we're going to be discussing the band's seventh studio album, Wasting Light, and we're joined by the most special guest, Kate's little brother, Kyle, and he's also the best guest we've ever had on yet until this very second. So kind of you. Yes. So kind of you. You didn't have to say that, but thank you. <laughs> we, we rehearsed this right before. It's not, so, it's not like yeah. you asked us to, right? Yeah. It's very humble. Would never. Would never. Guys. Already. Oh, wow. No, take it to the other side of the room, please. Sorry. It's all right. It's all good. Nick, can you please help me? (laughs) Go. Go, Bowser. Bows, get out. Oh, my God. So sorry. (laughs) Um, All right. So let's jump in. Kyle, we're so glad to have you. I'm very familiar with you. I just haven't seen you in a long time. So this is wonderful. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I hope I look just as good as you remember. (laughs) <laughs> Kyle, uh, first question to open up your your guest spot here. Out of all of your sisters, which is your favorite? <laughs> well, guess I'm going to have to go with Kate on this one. Yeah, yeah. Smart answer, so is Kate. There, yeah, there's only Kate. one answer. So right. The other two don't even listen to this, so they'll never know. There you so. go. And if they do, hello. <laughs> Follow-up question. Yes. Rank all of your sisters in favorite order, top to bottom. Kate at number one. Go. <laughs> no, you uh, well, Kate's 1A. Don't do it. Don't do Kevin it. Kelly are 1B. 1B, 1C. There you go. Yeah. Everybody's number one to me. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so, you know, we're talking about the Foo Fighters. Are you a Foo fan? Yes, I am super huge Foo fan. Probably a bigger fan than Kate. Uh, it's one of the first bands that Kate ever actually put on my PSP. That was the first Whoa. like music thing I had, and I had to bother her to get music on it. Yeah, I don't even know if you remember this, but I would just I come was in just gonna say, like, say, "What the heck's a PSP?" It's like a <laughs> portable know. PlayStation thing. It phased out. It was not okay. Sounds cool in theory, bad in practice. But yeah. I did not have any other way to listen to music, and I was like, "All right." throw music on this, I don't know how to do it. And you just put random songs at a time. And it was like early 2000s punk, and then this. And one of the first songs, I think it was uh, All My Life, and I was like, wow, this is really intense. I kind of like this. And then you just gave me like sporadic songs. And then later when I figured out like what albums were, I was like, oh, they're not all on one album. Okay, let's check these out. There's more. Yeah, Yeah. so much I love that you slowly put together the concept of what an album is over (laughs) time. I thought about it. my fault? No, realistically, I I don't even know how I got to music. I think I was just like, oh, uh, okay, like Kate and Kim, like 
they have noise going on. The radio works sometimes. <laughs> oh, like soul albums. People have a list of songs. Okay. <laughs> it's not just random hits of the today. All right. Cool. <laughs> nice. Nice. Interesting. So is this your favorite album of the Foos? Yes. This is actually one of my favorite albums of like all time. I think it's oh, one of the best wow. composed structurally, lyrically. Just I've listened to it for like weeks now. It's probably the album I've listened to the most from them front to back. And it's by far to me their best work. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, why don't we jump in with some history, Kate? Do you have some updated history here? I do have a bit. All right. So after Echoes, Silence, Patience, and Grace, uh, the band went to Grandmaster Recorders in Hollywood to start a new album, but then they abandoned it. They decided to take a break, which they've done before, so no big deal. And in that break, they re-recorded some tracks for the 2009 Greatest Hits album that they put out. Um, But at that time, Dave was reunited with Butch Vig. And Butch Mm -hmm. was a producer on Nirvana's Nevermind. So when they met, Dave was like, I think you're the man. Let's rethink this next album. Dave really wanted the album to define the Foo Fighters. And examples he gave was he wanted to be kind of like Back in Black for ACDC or the Black album for Metallica. Like he wanted this to be the album people remember Foo Fighters for. Which he has said in the past. He said that about in uh, was it about in your every honor album. Like, yeah, this is the yeah. best, most memorable right. album we've made. <laughs> so that was his goal. <laughs> but the decision to have this album define their sound uh, meant moving away from the quote artificiality of digital recording, and they returned to analog. So they used only analog equipment and recorded in Grohl's garage at his Encino, California home. And the beauty of this, and also the purpose behind it, was that with analog equipment, it doesn't really allow for a lot of post-production correction. So you kind of have to get it right and you have to be really well rehearsed, which was new for them. So everything was analog except for the post-mastering process. He wanted the record to sound, quote, raw and unperfect. He was turned off by the music at the time where he said, quote, I hear Pro Tools and drums that sound like a machine and it kind of sucks the life out of the music. So at first, Butch thought they were joking. <laughs> like, he was like, you can't do that. Like, you can't. We have the power. Why would you do that? Yeah, why would we go back Why would we do this? So because of that, he basically told the band, like, if you really want to do this, we can't waste our time. We can't waste our money. So they had 40 tracks. They whittled it down to 14. And they committed as a band to not changing what they recorded, which I thought was really interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were all in it. Like, okay, this is it. We can't go back. And this resulted in Hawkins playing for hours until he, quote, got a drum track I was proud of. They did use some click tracks, but Vig encouraged them not to fixate on that. So in some of the songs, they're super, super tight. And in other ones, there's a little bit of an ebb and a flow. They started recording September 6, 2010. They continued for 11 weeks, and essentially each song took an entire week. They would start with drums and rhythm guitar and then do bass. There's a quote from Wikipedia saying Nate would play his bass lines, which were practiced enough for them to be recorded perfectly on the first take. So someone did their homework. Way to go, bass players. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, and then they would do guitars. And some good news, Pat Smear is now back in the band. Now they are a three-guitar band at this point, And he used a baritone guitar so that the three guitars sounded different. Early on, Vig had doubts that they could do this because the tapes for the very first song they recorded, which was Miss the Misery, was actually falling apart. Like, they had gone over and over and over so many times. He was like, guys, this isn't going to work. And I couldn't find more info on this, but apparently there's a quote from Wikipedia that says one of the tracks was, quote, mostly ruined by one of Grohl's daughters. 
So oh I God. don't know oh what happened, <laughs> but one of the girls got into something and messed things up. So they definitely had a lot of trial and error with this. I wonder if it's the song that I hate the most. Oh, I'm curious. I, I, I went through every <laughs> link I could find and I, I was searching it crazy. And I'm sure the story's out there. I, I couldn't find it, what exactly happened. But mixing the songs was also a challenge because the console they used was not automated. So there were times where they literally had four different people turning knobs at the same time. And so Dave was quoted as saying, even the mixes sound like performances because they're all a little bit different. The album name was taken from a lyric from the song Miss the Misery, which I'll point out when we get to there. Um, Dave Mm -hmm. chose it. He said, it seems to resonate with me as in, okay, that's what we're doing here as in wasting light. Mm. We've kind of heard that before. And the band approached this record uh, as if it was their last one. Right. So so he wants it to be the one that defines them. This might be their last album. That's kind of how, how they approach every album at this point. And so they really wanted to make the most of the entire process together. From Dave, he says, we're only here for a short time. We're lucky to be alive. We're lucky to be in a band. I don't take any of this for granted. I don't want to spend any of my time looking backwards. I want to look forward. So that's the kind of gist of the whole thing. Some fun facts was that they documented the entire recording session on their website and social media at the time. And they also... Also, I remember seeing this advertised, uh, did a concert tour that included playing in fans' garages. That's so cool. Yeah, Yeah. I remember this was happening, and I remember you could, like, submit to be chosen, and if they played an arena in your town, they would, like, pick you and play in your garage for, like, a handful of your friends or whatever. I thought that was so, so cool. I think at that time, they also did, like, surprise shows at, like, dingy bars. Yeah, They didn't even tell anybody. They would just start playing. And then they're like, oh, my God. They're right. And I think that kind of leans into the whole analog, old school, let's go back yeah. to garage bands, House bar shows, bands. stuff mm. like that. Yeah. So cool. So that's the history. That's that's how we got to where we are. Well, wonderful. Well, let's jump in then. So the album is Wasting Light. It was released on April 12th, 2011 on Roswell Records with Butch Vig, who worked on Nirvana's Nevermind. Butch actually had to relearn how to edit um, in analog. He hadn't done it in so long. So th- I think that's partly why he was like, no, yeah, I don't want to do can't. <laughs> I don't want to do this. And there's some a lot of guest musicians on here. Bob Mould, Chris Novoselic, Jesse Green, Rami Jaffe, who they've worked with before mm-hmm. and i was going to mention the tour thing but oh, you said it already, did i steal so your sounder so it. sorry it's okay um <laughs> wasting light debuted at number one in 11 countries including the u.s oh. it earned four grammy awards including best rock album in 2012 wow all right they sweep up the grammys these guys yeah four that's a big one these guys in the Red Hot Chili Peppers just always seem to take it. Two favorites. I was, yeah, they are yeah. Miles' two favorites. That's true. Tie, yeah. Really? Yeah. He only likes winners. Yeah. What can I say? <laughs> Don't have time for losing. Well, the Red Hot Chili Peppers are a very, like, hit or miss band for people. They either love them or they totally hate them, which is strange. But That's true. I don't know. I can see. I mean, I'm, I'm on the love end, but I can see that. I love them. I can see it, too. Yeah. I can see it, too. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. So we're going to jump in track one. Bridge Burning. Okay, Bridge Burning. This was the sixth single, June 5th, 2012. It's got uh, Jaffe on the keys. I think this is a really great opener. I think as soon as the guitar riff starts, you know what's coming like you know where we're headed i really like how he goes from the screaming to the singing because it kind of pleases everyone uh i think the chorus is super catchy super great sing-along quality which is what makes it a good opener the vibe for me is a little bit the pretender 
which was kind of nice to like hear that again. I think it's lyrically a little bit kind of revengey underdog, which is something I can always get behind. From Foo Archive, he revealed to a UK newspaper, The Daily Star, uh, that he had been using certain 70s chart friendly bands as an influence, penning his catchy choruses. And he said, quote, I like loads of crazy ass dissonant distorted rock and roll, but I also love the Bee Gees and ABBA and bands whose pop choruses get bigger and bigger. I love the anthemic choruses, that overwhelming feeling of release that you can connect with. So whenever I thought I had a chorus big enough, I would use that as the pre-chorus and then I would try writing something even bigger like they did. And I thought that was, I love that. that. And I don't know, I know Gabby, you're a little familiar, Kyle, I don't know if you know, um, Dan Wilson, he's a songwriter from Semisonic. We mentioned him actually on the Taylor Uh, season he worked with her but he i follow him on instagram and he gives songwriter advice all the time and one of his biggest pieces of advice is when you write a really great chorus make it your pre-chorus write another chorus that's like his rule of thumb is like if you want it to be super great you need to move it over and do a bigger one so i just thought it was interesting that they both have the same take on that that's cool kyle what'd you think in terms of an opener i think it's one of their best i think Bridge Burning into Rope is possibly their best one-two punch for me personally. The three guitars, and for anyone that is listening, hopefully they've listened to the entire album. If you're not listening in like really good headphones or in your car on full blast, you're not getting the album experience. Mm. I tried to uh, do some work and listen with one ear and I was like, this kind of sucks. You you Mm. lose the balance of the three guitars because you have Dave who's just kind of like straightforward. Pat is like super heavy to me, like almost borderline either turn it down or turn it off. This is almost like a mess. (laughs) And then Chris adds in all like the extra solos and they play off each other so well. And the way the song starts, I feel like it's like on the left of my head, then the Mm -hmm. right of my head, then the middle, and then it kicks. And I'm like, all right, I'm fucking in. This is great. But yeah, I think the guitars, it's to me, it's their like loudest album, but I think that's their best sound. It's the most full. And I kind of hear that with every song, but this one particularly, it's like, we want them to know we're here. We have all three guitars. We're going to mm. scream. The drums are going to kill. The bass is just, you know, got to help my bass out here. But yeah. so good. So good. Every so good. every song is so good. But particularly here, it just holds it down real well. I love this song. I loved it too. I thought it's a great opener. I loved opening lyrically with these are my famous last words as the first words that you hear on this album. Because yeah. then I think it kind of sets the president that the entire album is what he is talking about which is what he is talking about as you mentioned kate at the beginning sure when i first listened to this i didn't i did my research after so i didn't know that they had recorded analog but when i listened to it i clocked like oh this sounds different Mm. it sounds louder it sounds crisper in a way Mm. and i couldn't quite figure out what it was and then finding out it was analog i was like oh okay like i get what they're going for here totally um and also for some reason and you just mentioned like the influences that he has and I definitely there's some songs where I was like oh this is like very 70s-ish and like 70s pop-ish yes this song gave me My Chemical Romance vibes oh my god Mm, interesting there were a couple that gave me My Chemical Romance vibes like just at moments like certain guitar parts and like certain pre-choruses and this one in particular like I I got like a flash of My Chem and I love that that a flash of (laughs) I love a that. Fla- just not, not enough to be like, is this song about vampires or <laughs> no. these guys weird? But just right. a little. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, to to both your points, but specifically, Kyle, how you were saying too, like the heavy, how Pat's guitar is almost like turn it down or turn it off. That's the baritone guitar. And I think that's 
also lending such a huge part. It's just such a huge part of why this sounds thicker and different. Yeah. yeah. You know, because it was just the two for so long. But I think it was a really awesome decision. I, I mean, I'm glad he was back. Everyone agreed. So that's wonderful. Um, but I think it adds a lot to whatever sound they were going for. So it was super yeah. smart. I think you two also mentioned it. Uh, shameless shout for your pod. Listen to it all. Uh, I think in your one <laughs> Thanks, by Kyle. one pod, of course, <laughs> gotta do my research. Uh, I believe in the one by one pod you mentioned, it was either in your pod or in the documentary I was watching. Uh, Taylor Hawkins wanted them to be a trio and he didn't yeah. want extra guitars, but Dave was like, no, these are guitars. And I think they didn't really hit their apex of guitar sound till this album. I can't like imagine them without that's, three guitars that's anymore. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't realize that they had three guitars until I saw them perform when I watched that six 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 movie. Yeah. And oh, they're right. like doing a long rehearsal scene. <laughs> right, right, right. And Nick's like sitting next to me. He's like, "That's so many fucking guitars." <laughs> it's a lot. And I was like, "Oh, they're all guitars." Like, I don't know why I didn't realize that. That's how. But the, it never like came through. I think in an effective way. Yeah. Until right now. Right. I, yeah. You're totally spot on, Kyle. There's something about it. But it is like. I think if they weren't as skilled as they were having three guitars on, like, they would probably not be this oh famous. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, it would not yeah. be good. It's not necessary. The, but they no. make it work. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure yeah. Dave is even like, we all have our distinct sounds, so don't touch your dials. Yes. Don't change <laughs> yeah, a yeah, shit. Yeah. Because, like, no, it's got to be very uh, unique. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's get into track two, Rope. Okay, so Rope was the first single, March 1st, 2011. We have uh, Rami Jaffe on the keys and Drew Hester, who was on the previous album, for some, uh, quote, hidden cowbell strike. It was literally called Hidden, so I couldn't, I didn't find it myself, but it's in there somewhere. So I thought of Sean when I was listening to this, and Kyle, to your point, if you've got the headphones on, it starts in the right, and then the Mm. left kicks in, and it's just like, it's a whole experience. You really do have to listen to it that way. Initially, though, I did not love this song. This would not have been my choice for a first single uh, no really? for overall i think the singles they picked were completely out of whack like this makes no sense to me and i will note when we get to them what my singles would have been like it matters um but uh, <laughs> i found the verses to be a little weird uh by the time the chorus kicks in i'm kind of back in that familiar space and i'm like okay that's fine they do a an instrumental climb at the end of the chorus uh, which causes a lot of tension which i like and the second time around it leads into that instrumental section which is just so good and i think it's the first time we have this like crazy face melting solo I, mm-hmm. I was like shocked by it and then I realized like we never really had this before and I don't know why maybe it's the three guitar thing I don't know but I loved it overall not my favorite it's a solid song but the fact that it was the first single just like blew my mind I can't believe this was the first single right and I don't remember Kyle. hearing it on the radio. Like I don't remember. I love it. Oh, so Kyle loves this song. Love it. He said he, no. this transition is his favorite, yeah, so he must think this song this, slaps. Because this is like when I really knew music. So okay. By the time I got to this album, to me, this was like my Foo Fighter album. I heard the other songs, but I had like no association. But this I was like right. excited mm. for. Okay. And I felt cool when all the kids who didn't care about this music in school were like, "What the fuck are you listening to?" I was like, "Oh." You should know. I'm going to drop some knowledge, but then they didn't give a fuck. Right, now they're okay. But I think Rope is possibly my favorite because the end drums sound like John Bonham. They uh, do. From yes, Zeppelin. your favorite? I, I know. It's weird. I'm just, I like weird stuff. But I think that the, the song builds and it like plays left and right. And it was the first single, so I just kind of, at first I was like, oh, it's okay. But by like the 50th time, I was like, I'm really fucking into this. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. it's the end that I can't wait for because I think the drums are just spectacular. And I feel like he doesn't get to do that all that often. Yes. And 
the the first fill into the second fill. At one point, I thought he was like hitting it with his hands, like Bonham would do live. Like it yeah. sounded so good. And I think that hidden cowbells in the second fill, you hear it like really wow. quick. Oh. I think the drums, the guitar solo is amazing, and you are correct. They really don't solo that much. But I was happy they, like, put their drum on display because he's so good, and he's, like, amazing at double time on this album. But just to let him, like, here's your two free flows. Go nuts. Do whatever you want to do. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. I heard Bonham too. Yeah. I for sure. I'll give you. I'll get when, when you explain it the way you like it, Kyle. I guess it's not bad. As long as I have a way to explain why I like it, I can't <laughs> just say fine. I like it because right. I can yes, understand yes, why yes. people aren't a huge fan. I think uh, Bridge Burning definitely should have been. Oh, I can't speak for Kate, but if I was going to do singles, I'd probably drop that first. It's like such a good, just it's catchy. A, it's a contender. For Rope to come out as first. My choice, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't, this is not, I don't think this is a great first single just because I don't think it has like that hook appeal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a weird one to try and lure people into um, releasing a new album. Yeah. I felt like the first time I listened to this, like they were commissioned to specifically make a song to be the theme song for the next iteration of the Guitar Hero video game. Ah. Uh-huh. I hear this that. This is very, uh, like, what I heard immediately was, I was like, this is cock rocky. Yeah. I don't like <laughs> It's a little cock rocky. I don't like when they're cock rocky. Like, that's, is that, that turns hubris? me off. Is that ego? What, is that a disease? It's, it's like, uh, it could be a disease. It, can it be. could be a disease. It's it just sounds like, like a the cousin of cock sound rocky. of, like, <laughs> nickel back creed-ness oh. that irks me. Yeah. Wow. Or it's like being... Or it's kind of like like cookie cutter what you're supposed to do when you're in a rock band type sound. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. That so that's what bothers me about it. Mm. But I did love the solo. There were some harmonies, yes. some vocal harmonies that I really really liked. And for all of that, there is something about this that is that feels modern. That sounds like a little modern in a way, and I couldn't quite put my finger on sure. it. Sure, but I don't like it. Oh. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Don't like it. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no apology needed. <laughs> I like it. Track three, Dear Rosemary. Dear Rosemary, uh, this features Bob Mould, American guitarist, vocalist, and songwriter. Oh, shit, yeah. He does guitar and backing vocals. And then we've got Rami Jaffe on the organ. I love this song. As soon as it starts, you've got the tambourine right in the beginning, and it just has a different feel. I wrote, like, maybe classic rock. I couldn't define it exactly, but there's just such a great feeling as soon as it starts. From the back-and-forth guitars, it's almost like they're having a conversation with each other. It's super cool. Uh, You've got the doubled vocal, and what I love about the doubled vocal is one of them is, like, kind of softer and expressive, and one is a little bit more shouty, and when they're on top of each other, it's just, like, this really interesting dynamic. I think it has a really cool retro drum pattern in the pre-chorus, and then it kind of opens up into this, like, more relaxed pattern, and the retro drum pattern comes in in a couple of songs. I noticed that a few times on this album. Um, This is also a super easy song to sing along to. I thought it was great. Mm. A quote from Dave uh, from songfacts.com. He told Mojo Magazine uh, about how he got Bob involved, and he says, quote, I was a huge fan of Husker Du, which was Bob's band. Uh, their album Zen Arcade is one of the most underrated American rock and roll records of all time. And only recently did I realize how much I've ripped off Bob for the last 16 years. I met him for the first time last summer and I said, you know what? I'd be nowhere and nobody without your music. And he very politely nodded and said, I know. <laughs> so Bob sounds like a badass. Um, and he says right then they swapped phone numbers. They became friends. Um, I had this song and imagined what it would be like to for us to duet uh, and then he obliged and he's like it was an honor to sing with one of my heroes but bob sounds like a sick dude 
<laughs> yeah, I worked on a, a project once as one of his publicists. He's, oh, that's what he's like. Oh, nice. Sean from episode three is a huge Bob Mould fan. Yeah, huge. I never met him, but he like every interview we set him up, he'd always say something like douchebaggy and funny. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. Great. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel super uh, not smart right now because I don't even know who Bob Mould was. Uh, oh yeah, till- that's okay. <laughs> I know. That's You're okay. young, Kyle. You're young. You young listen to music on a PSP. I know. Yeah, what is. the heck? It took me a long time to get an iPod. What can I say? <laughs> now they're obsolete. By the time I got it, it's time to get an iPhone. Uh, I agree with Kate. I think uh, it's super catchy. The lyrics, the way it like repeats itself, like you got away, you got away. Now get away, get mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. It's definitely easier to sing along to. And I think Bob Mool's vocals. Now I have to like, like hear his real band. I need. Sh- I should go listen. Yeah, to that. yeah, yeah. But I think his back and forth with Dave, with Dave is great. Uh, they, the way their their sound bounces off of each other. It's almost like you said they're shouting and receiving back and forth. Yeah. I think it's like melodically uh, a really like strong song. It's very catchy. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. It, it reminded me of like uh, what I would consider to be a classic classic rock song. Mm-hmm. Even though it is, there's moments where it gets a little butt rocky. Okay, but I think I was fresh off a rope and I was like, "Ugh, are Ugh. we doing this?" <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's classic classic rocky. And then I wrote, uh, "I would love to drive listening to this." Yes, song, windows down. Mm. Like it's a good drive. It is a song. very good car and shower song. Oh, yeah, right. it's like a good like mid tempo. Everybody like, sings in the not shower. Going crazy. <laughs> I just I don't. I, I, I yeah, listen to I murder podcasts. Songs. Okay. Do I need yeah. to make do that? You know, take a weekend, find yeah. a few songs you like, set the shower settings correctly. Right. And, it. and I'll add this to my shower mix. There you go. I just yeah. listen to true crime. That's my shower. Just mix. murder. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just murder while I'm. So it's like, dear. Did I lock the door? Murder. Yeah. That's yes. I, that's what I do. I'm like, is the door? Hit closed? it twice. Okay, I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> all right track four uh white limo white limo here we go all right this was the second single march this was ugh, march 28th 2011 i cannot understand that move i think that was just like a silly douche move nobody would play this on the radio it was such a waste for a second single from a marketing standpoint like i literally oh God, i'm sorry i just, I just like how angry it. you are <laughs> i think it's, it's funny like the song itself like I, it's Weenie Beanie Part 2. And I don't know if anyone went back. It is Weenie Beanie Part 2. Yeah. I just listened to them before we jumped on back to back. It's the same song. It might be in a different key. I encourage you to do it. It's the same song. Oh, right? really? Same song? It's basically the same Do one. you ever see the music video for it? It's pretty funny. I, they got, I did uh, not. The Motorhead lead singer. He's in a white limo. He's oh. just going around. You know, they're like being clowns, how they do yeah, with the like music being, video. like they do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they make good videos. They make I mean, good videos. The song's it's a good. Video. One, one <laughs> quote from Dave, which I actually made me like the song more. Uh, he told Q Magazine, this song has, quote, such a badass riff, it's fucking insane. It makes you want to break into someone's car and steal their stereo. Which it does. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't make me want to do that at all. Yeah, I don't want to steal anything. It makes me want to punch it. Like, it's just weird. And then, in an interview with Classic Rock, Girl stated that he wrote the lyrics for White Limo in just two minutes. If you can't believe it, guys, just two minutes. Oh, I can believe it. it. But he did it because Nate basically told him, like, every time you write a song, it doesn't need to be We Are the World. So he was kind of giving him a hard time, which I thought was hilarious. That's pretty great. But then I looked into some of the lyrics, and they're terrible. But the one that really stood out to me was, Go, go, you have never been away so long. Go, go, and the ride was shared. Go, go, whatever happened to Day Glow Thongs? 
Whatever did happen to <laughs> I don't to know. Them? Well, this is the song for everyone wondering. I was just like, what the <clears> heck <throat> is happening? But I will say, as annoying as it was as a whole, I do really enjoy the instrumental section from uh, two minutes, 30 seconds to three minutes. There's 30 solid seconds of sick music. Mm-hmm. I think it's fun. I don't need to hear it again. I, I don't know what they were thinking with that. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Kyle? Uh, I tell us how much you love it. No, I actually hated this song when I heard it. I was pretty upset with it. Uh, I don't like this kind of music. Um, eventually, it grew on me because yeah. I just love Foo Fighters too much. Sure. But I, I, I really like the chorus in the song. He's like audible. I don't really like when he's just like math on the microphone, like yeah. he never did a Zoom mm. before. Right, right, right. It's just not my thing. I thought the video was funny. Uh, I would agree with the ending. The ending is good. But yeah. I really like the choruses, and I used to just skip everything. Listen to the chorus, skip everything again, listen to the chorus, go to the next song. Stop, really? Yeah, I was really just like, great chorus. How crazy. Oh my God. By that time I had... had that functionality? I I should have never said anything. (laughs) By that time, I believe I had an iPod or a phone that could get some songs at some point. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, this was definitely my least listened to. Eventually, I liked it a little more, but like, I understand what he's trying to do there. But I do love Nate's comment. That's pretty hilarious. Oh my, it made me laugh. Doesn't that have to fun. be earth changing, man. Just play a song. Yeah, just just, just play a song. song. I wrote my cam, but bad. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> and it reminded me a little bit of Marilyn Manson, which just turned me off because I really don't like that person. Mm. I, I saw Manson once. I don't know if I told you that. Really? Yeah. Let me tell you real quick. I saw Manson and Rob Zombie. Oh my god! Yeah, I went with- Nick's first concert was Rob Zombie. Oh, Nick. Let me tell you, Rob Zombie puts on a great show. A great show. Yeah. Oh, so entertaining. Like, does he give out snacks? What does he do? Huge stage. I don't know what where this is going, but let me just tell you. Huge stage show. Dancers, acrobats, lights, colors. You felt like you were on an acid trip, but let me tell you. There was something happening everywhere. Marilyn Manson, horrendous. He took 20 minutes in between set changes for songs. There was dead air for like 15, 20 minutes in between each track. I was like, what is happening? And he did not want to be there. Like, he could not have wanted to be there less. I was, And he was the headliner. I was like, how embarrassing for you. I watched that documentary on HBO that Evan Rachel Wood made about, oh, like, her her sexual assault yeah. by him and, like, all this shit. And I just really, he's, he's I greatly dislike him. Oh, he's terrible. I greatly do not like that man. Yeah. So it gave me Manson vibes, and I was like, boo yeah, this boo. song. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. I don't. All right. I don't boo. You, boo. <laughs> so I hate this one the most because of that reason. Fair. Fair totally reason, fair. good reason, support yeah. that reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, track five, uh, Alandria. Alandria was the fourth single, September 18th, 2011. We've got Drew Hester on some percussion on this one again. I love that it starts super big and then goes down really quiet to a clean vocal and just picking guitars. I really like the slow buildup with this. the second guitar. Again, they're doing like panning left, right headphone things, which is interesting. This was a super easy listen. I think the chorus is solid, but I do think... I think it's lacking the size of some of the choruses we've heard so far. Mm. Still super catchy. There's a sing-along quality, but it's not as punchy as I was hoping for. Um, This one, again, we get like that retro drum beat in the chorus. But I will say, initially, I was like, man, this is okay. But when I first listened to this uh, album last week, this song was in my head every day afterward. The chorus is so, it's like an earworm. It just really gets in there. And from Song Facts, uh, Arlandria is the name of a neighborhood that's just northeast of where Dave grew up in Alexandria, Virginia. In the bridge, he sings, my sweet Virginia, I'm the same as I was in your 
in your world, which I just think is a kind of a nice humble nod to like his humble beginnings, also to his mother, right? Mm. And he does reference this song on Headwires from album three. The sun is on Arlandria is a, a, a lyric in that song. So he, it's kind of interesting that he wrote this. It almost seems like a callback to that song from that album. But um, mm. overall, decent song. I think it's good. I think it's real good. I just don't think it's as catchy or punchy or bright maybe as some of the other ones on this album. What do you think, Kai? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, to quote Gabby, it's in the middle for a reason. Oh, oh. Matt. We need shirts. <laughs> Kyle, you, you are a fan. I told you. Oh I did my God. research. <laughs> I did my research. The glasses aren't just for show. Uh, but I would agree. I really like when it gets quiet and he's whispering. I assume that's the chorus where he starts with like, shame, shame, go away. Yeah. Come again some other day. And it's also because it's kind of like he's stealing like the rain, rain, go away. Yeah, you totally. Know, yeah. Lullaby. So I think that's why it might have got stuck in your head. Probably. But I really do like the changes in volumes. I would say it's not as punchy but i still think it's a really good song Mm -hmm. and the whole album kind of reminds me of like you had like a rough part of your life and then you're like in the middle of it towards the end you're kind of like picking up some pieces and like things are going to get better i can kind of get into more of that with a few other songs in the future here but uh i think it's like a good spot for the song it's a nice little recovery from white limo yeah after coming off that i was like if this is it yeah i'm not i'm gonna hit pause on the ps right right but I think it's a good PSP comeback. Out my window, yeah. I'm going to play Sonic the Hedgehog instead of Done. listening in just a second. Right. I think that's Sega, actually. Sega, yeah. I didn't. I just insulted a ton. Well, hopefully they don't just come We're in the comments and be like, mail. what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> hopefully. I hear what you're both saying. I really like this song. Okay. I, I good. like that it wasn't, I guess, special. Okay. <laughs> that there was nothing, like, over the top and showmanshipy about okay. it. Okay. Um, I think Dave's vocals, this is one song, or I think the first song while I was listening where his vocal ability, I was just like in awe. Mm. Like he's so, he's such a strong vocalist and you really hear it on this song. And I think the chorus like and the pre-chorus are both really catchy. Mm. I, I was into it. This was one of the songs where I heard like 70s pop yeah. influences mm. in the chorus. And I think... Because there's like a lot of the stuff that I like is more pop leaning. Like I was like, oh, okay, I really, really dig this one. So I can hear I that. It. I can hear that seventies kind of like mellowish, but like listener friendly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, listener friendly. It's not going too far in any direction to like drive you away. Right. But yeah, I really dug it. Okay, fair. Track six. These days. These days was the fifth single, November first, two thousand eleven. Uh, I think this one has really good placement in the listing as a whole. I think the intro is a bit of a palate cleanser. On this one, vocally, I almost didn't recognize his voice. I went back to see if someone was featured, and I was like, how rude to be the first vocal on this on this track. But it's him, and he just sounds great. My first impression of the lyrics overall, it's kind of like a YOLO. You know what I mean? You live one time, live in the moment, make the most of your time here. I do think the verse and the pre-chorus are kind of just okay. This chorus, though is fantastic. Might be one of the best choruses I've heard from them ever. It feels really familiar, like the old food that you're used to, but it feels new. Overall, I think it's a really good song, but again, I think same with Arlandria. It doesn't really stand out for me. I, I'm surprised it was a single, although it was the fifth one, so that's fine. It's a little long. It's almost they had five, five minutes. five singles? And, uh, six. They had six. Yes. Where was I when this album and came out? Them- did they come out, like, even after the album came out? I thought it came out in April. Yeah, some do. Some do. Yeah, some, some do, after. yeah. But, oh, so far, I, I think maybe one of them is one that I would have picked. Whoever picked the singles did a terrible job, as a, as a final note for me. <laughs> 
<laughs> Final note here in track six. Just saying. Final minor right there. Uh, uh, in 2011, Dave was quoted as saying, this might be the best song I've ever written. And I put sure. in parentheses, okay, we've sure, heard Dave. before. Sure, Jan. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. But in 2015, he told uh, Entertainment Weekly, every night I sing it, I get choked up. So I thought that was kind of interesting to, to oh, like, he, it's hard for him to sing this song. At least then it was. Um, and he said it's just about heartbreak and loss, which I think is kind of obvious. Mm-hmm. Solid song. Mm, middle for a reason. Not a favorite for me. What do you think, Kai? Uh, I didn't know the background where he gets a little emotional there. It uh, yeah. adds another layer. Sure. It. I like it a lot. Uh, I like where there's a break when he kind of screams out, easy for you to say, and then all the band <sighs> comes back in. Yeah. Uh, and like you mentioned, like the more I've listened to it just over the weeks and like years, honestly, I've started to really pay attention more to like what they're trying to say and how they're bouncing off each other musically. Sure. And I think it's just kind of like a message like all you people that told me don't do the second band or it sounds like a rip off of this or I can't try this. Like, fuck off. I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. Go judge me if you want. I don't care. And I think it's pretty cool that you can just kind of say that. I mean, he's Dave Grohl. He can say whatever he yeah, wants. Yeah, really. But lyrically, <laughs> uh, I think it's good. Uh, it's not really like reinventing the wheel, but I think it's like a nice catchy song. Uh, on the album. Yeah. I don't like this song. Oh. <laughs> uh, but let me tell you why. Kate, you mentioned it at the beginning that it, this doesn't really sound like Dave in the beginning because it yeah. sounds like Adam Pascal from Rent who plays Roger. It sounds oh. exactly like Adam Pascal. Okay. If you, you can go after this and listen to the soundtrack um, and any of the Roger songs and just it's his exact vocal tone his timbre the way that his like vibrato it's exactly the way he sings and so Roger. I'm a huge Rent fan so yeah. immediately I was like Broadway and I was oh, no, no immediately longer, no yeah <laughs> I was no longer in the foo zone even oh. though I think that when the chorus hits like they like he's no longer singing like Roger yes. and it starts to sound right. like the Foo Fighters are there it just didn't do it for me wow just cause that it to me sounds like like a really weird imitation of Adam Pascal. Like I don't know what he was trying to do, and like, okay. and then I'm like, does he know who he is? Does he know that he's singing that way? Like, Rent is oh a really popular musical. Like right. he has daughters. Like, like it's possible that they know Maybe. what Rent is. I don't, uh, I don't know, but I thought it was that. That was I'm gonna my have to up. compare. But that's the only song I have. And I have said this on a couple songs. I think on Echoes there was a few songs where I was kind of surprised. But this one in particular, like it's notable. As soon as he starts, you're like, this voice is weird. Like, his voice is different. He's approaching it differently. So maybe it was on purpose. Could be. I think his his voice is, like, one of the best of all of the albums. Oh, he, it's great. I'm not saying I feel like he, he cared the like, most he, if that sounds He's got bad. very strong vocals, I think, yeah. on all of these songs. But the way that he's singing on this song in particular, it sounds like Rent. Mm. I gotta look, look that up. Uh, it's One Song Glory. That's the name of the song. One right. Song Glory from the Rent. The note is taken. Glory Roger Rent. Make sure it's the Adam Pascal version. It should be. There shouldn't be another version, but it should be the Adam Pascal version. We don't want any second. No, 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 no. It has to be Adam. Adam. It has to be Adam. No understands. No No understands. All right, track seven, Back and Forth. Uh, Back and Forth features Butch Vig on percussion. Uh, I love the verse melody of this. I like the palm muted guitars. I think the chorus is super fun. I think a a lot of what makes it fun is that high harmony that he's doing in the background. And it kind of takes us from a heavier rock song to a more pop leaning. I also think uh, Nate is responsible for a lot of that too. A lot of what he's playing is very poppy. There's also a sick tambourine going on there. I love a tambourine. 
I am hearing fastball in the chorus. Gabby, you and I talked about fastball last episode. I hear it so clear on this. Mm -hmm. I was very surprised that this was not chosen as a single. It wouldn't have been my first single, but it's so radio friendly. Mm -hmm. I agree. Would have been a good later single, like third or fourth. Mm. Lyrically, I feel like it's just basically any kind of relationship where you are looking for some give and take. It could be romantic. It could be platonic. It could even be with bandmates. I was wondering if that's kind of where his headspace was, but I didn't uh, read too much into that. I didn't find anything but solid song great song i thought this was really yeah. good yeah fastball <gasps> do you know who they are now you I say it yeah, i do <laughs> i do oh Were they i know i said I did i you. give them to the you? other day you're the worst we were playing a song and i was like this is like the outro of that fastball song where it sounds like a game show i just can't think of the name of this oh interesting uh it's not the way it's another you're an ocean there you oh go. okay okay oh see i know you do stuff. i don't even know that song <laughs> It's a good song. It reminds me of like the Drew Carey show at the end where everybody freaks yeah, 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 out. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, hey, me. Love we that. did this stuff. Yeah. Uh, everything you said, I agree with and more. The only thing I have a note of is uh, the name back and forth. It sounds like the song is going back and forth. Oh. Like it makes me want to go left to right. Like the guitars and bass are bouncing like up the scale, down huh. the scale. And I think that's very mm. cool. I don't know if he did that on purpose, but it's like, to me, it's a very cool volley of tones. And then it kind of meets in the middle to go to the next part of the song. Very cool. Nice. Um, I loved this one. I loved the chorus. I thought there was something about it that was really poppy. And I wrote, there's something very late 90s and early 2000s about this, but I can't quite put my finger on it. And once again... It's fastball. It's fastball. But I like this one. This is like the one that leads you out of the shitty middle. Yeah, <laughs> shitty mid. Yeah. Shitty mid. The shitty mid that. outro. This is back and forth. <laughs> All right, track eight, A Matter of Time. A Matter of Time. I feel like at this point in the album, we are back to the bite that was in the initial couple of tracks, which I think is really good timing. This should have been their first single. I was shocked when I learned that it wasn't because I feel like this song literally has everything. It is melodic. It's rock. It's edgy. It's familiar, but it's new. You can sing along with it. It's surprising. It shows their range. This was like a no-brainer to me. I really don't understand. The only thing is, it's a little long. It's four minutes 30, but they could have made a radio version. Just cut cut the bridge a little bit, cut the last chorus. We uh, we do, though, a, a little bit of a negative. We've got the loud intro and the low verse. That has happened a few times. There's like three or four songs where they do this, so I was kind of like, I don't know why someone didn't point that out. But this one does it better than some others. I think the pre-chorus into the chorus is just genius. To not go to a huge blast of rock right away, I think was really smart. In the second half, you get the volume that you were like kind of craving. There's just everything about it. I just love this one so much. And I think lyrically, like overall, I think lyrically he's improving from album to album. On this album, I wasn't super thrilled with the lyrics, but I do think there are pockets like this one. He says, uh, doing my time for line after line. When will I learn to sing these crimes to myself? Prisoner to share a cell with. I'm holding, still holding, holding you in. He's got these little like vignettes that are thematic that I think work really well. I thought that was one of them. Um, and then from Foo Archive, he says, a matter of time is one of the sweetest melodies I've ever written, but it has one of the heaviest riffs. I think he's completely spot on. Why this was not the first single infuriates me. I don't understand. Interesting. Uh, I really just like the end. Oh. I think the whole song is pretty <laughs> <Okay>. good. <laughs> it's not the craziest thing to me, but I really like when he just lets out the scream of, like, time. Yeah. I feel like he's exhausted. He just got his, like, feelings out. He's just trying to let people know it's just a matter of time. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't, like, really jump out at me, but I really do. I groove with the end a lot. Okay. 
I liked the melody here. Uh, you're very impassioned about how great this song is, Kate, and I don't think it's oh that great. It's so good. <laughs> Where okay, you mentioned where they do like the quiet verses and the louder choruses, and you thought this was the best use of that. I wrote that this is yeah. the weakest use of that so far oh on my this album. Oh shit! I, like I, I think the strongest part about it is the melody, but the structure. I felt like they've done it before. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Yikes. Agree to disagree, guys. What the hell? It is what it is. <laughs> it would not be a podcast. That's true. That's true. That's it's true. true. Yeah. Wow. All okay. right. Track nine. Miss the misery. Miss the misery. This features Fee Waybell. He's a lead singer and songwriter of The Tubes. This is super heavy. To me, I kind of got a hard rock blues vibe. To open up with some O's was new. I don't think he does that too too often, so I took note of that. Overall, good song. This doesn't stand out to me in any kind of way. Uh, I feel like it should have been more toward the middle. It's not a favorite. I think I appreciate this the most for the musical changes. Um, it's kind of like heavy foo, right? Mm. But notable, this is where the album title comes from. Uh, a line says, don't change your mind, you're wasting light. Not a favorite mm. for me. Yeah, I would say that the pre-chorus, kind of like the guy you follow on Instagram, I guess maybe he wrote his pre his chorus, made it the pre-chorus, and wrote a new chorus, because I like the pre-chorus better mm, than the chorus. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like that like mm. way better. <laughs> I kind of wish that was just the Interesting. Chorus. I still think the song is good. It's not one of my favorites, but that gets me like charged up, and then when the chorus goes, I'm like, eh. Yeah. Yeah. You built me up. And then you walked. And then you left me. Yeah. I I didn't <laughs> love this one either. I thought it felt like a safe and unexciting like mold of a rock song. I was like, what are we doing wow. here? Why do we put this on here? I had to listen to this a couple of times to make myself listen to the whole thing because I kept stopping. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Oh wow! <laughs> oh shit! Wow! Like I mean, they, they could have cut it too. I'm I'm looking here. There's 11 tracks, which is not crazy, but usually they're, they one. hover around 10. Just cut one. Just cut one. Mm. Ten's a beautiful number of tracks. You don't need more yeah, than ten. Even. Right. You're good. Mm. You're good with 10. All right. Track 10, I Should Have Known. I Should Have Known. We've got Bob Mould back on backing vocals. Chris Novoselic is on this. He's on accordion, which I thought was really what a weirdo. <laughs> he doesn't play the bass on it as well? Uh, I, I The note, possibly. I don't think so. I, my right, notes, I have a little note oh, myself. Oh, okay. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, we've got Rami. Just a minor note, if you will. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> A plus, Kyle. Nice, Kyle, killing it. <laughs> We've got uh, Rami Jaffe on uh, Mellotron and Jesse Green on violin. She's um, she's been touring with them kind of regularly. Once they did that acoustic record, another blues influence song feels very pretty in the verses when the strings come in. Gabby Osanguneo's strings. It just sounds really nice. This song easily could have fit on the previous album. I felt I, I I was hearing echoes on this. I feel like every rock album needs a slow song, and this is theirs. I feel like it, it, even though it's a little bit different, it still kind of fits. And what ties it in is his vocal. Truthfully, uh, the music is really pretty and building. And I said uh, his voice gets kind of aggressive and screamy. There's almost like a bullhorn effect on it, which I think is kind of cool toward the end. The climb in the pre-chorus made me think of the Pretender. They hit very similar notes where they climb a little bit, and I went back and listened, and I was like, that's super cool. And then around three-minute mark, they go into an instrumental that I feel like just kind of elevates the whole thing. Uh, and then from Song Facts, lyrically, it's about a childhood friend, Jimmy Swanson, who died from a drug overdose in 08. And apparently, Dave also sings about his friend, Jimmy, on a song called Word Forward, which might have been like a sing- like a like a one-off. We didn't get to that, so I don't know what that is. Um yeah, and then uh, and then 
we haven't heard this in a little while. Um, a lot of people think this song is about Kurt. So there was a quote from Fuarkar where he says, uh, when I first wrote it, I was sitting in my bedroom and I had someone else in mind when I was singing it. But then as I elaborated on it, I thought there were definitely connections. I've definitely felt that way before, especially with Kurt, where, you know, I was afraid this was going to happen. So to have Chris come down and play that song was kind of a risky move. I explained to him and I said, yeah, you know, it's one of those songs that I'm sure people are going to think is about Kurt. And Chris said, oh, fuck it. That's okay. So Chris like was like, who cares, man? Just do the song. But then another quote about having Chris on this record, he's uh, Dave says, one of the things about the expanded Nirvana family is it doesn't matter how much time has passed. When you see each other, you're immediately connected by that, by the good and the bad things. So when I see Chris and I hug him, I celebrate our lives, but I also hug him to console him. And I was like, oh, wow, you guys are, like, really... Wow, deep. You're saying too much. Deeply connected. Dave, like, keep that to yourself between I you guess, and Chris. I guess it's just because he's old. And he's well, just I think he's unloading. getting into his feels. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. He's getting he into silly it. Dave, and now he's, like, Grandpa And apparently Dave. Chris is like, who cares, bro? Rock and roll. Yeah. So it's like, oh, okay. All right, so Kyle, what'd you think? I think this is my favorite song on the entire album. Ooh, wow. I think it's one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard in my oh, life. Oh my god! I actually get emotional every time I hear oh it. My I, god. Oh. <laughs> I know. Tea time, telling it all. Uh, it's also one of my favorite workout songs. It gets you just the end. You I love both of them. I like. like what? <laughs> do you do you cry at the end of your workout? No. Well, oh. no. But I just get like one more rip. Like let's okay. get this. Uh, but I think wow. it's composed so well. I, it reminds me of like a spaghetti western almost. Yeah, uh, okay. the way like okay. they're playing. Yes. I don't know. There's a lot no, going no. on. I hear it. I hear but it. But I think the build is great. And then on the documentary, Chris comes in and he's playing a gain bass on. Oh, so he is. Like, he I is. just looked on he Genius. Could play accordion. He's credited or as accordion and bass. Okay, okay. so he, then he's double dipping. He's double dipping. <laughs> But the double bass at the end is one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. Uh, you know what's it's I meant to go back and check because at the very end there is a it doesn't sound like Nate. It's almost like a twangy like you can hear the difference. And he's holding like the D whatever note he's on. I don't know notes. He's holding a note and has an open string and it's just like so raw like the string is going to snap. And I really think they overlaid both bases because I hear Nate and I hear him. Oh maybe. And just like on a hundred it's such a like I feel my chest. I'm like this is fucking amazing. It's also just like a sad song when I think of what he has thought about and I'm like oh personal reflection let's think about it with the song. It's very just like yeah. I can kind of relate to what he's talking about there in sure. certain aspects. So I just think overall it's just a really strong song. Uh, but the ending is like, oh my God, it's so good. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> it's the yeah. best ending to one of their songs I think I've ever heard. I loved this song a lot too. I like the blue, the blues influence like came through in such a pure way, but not in like an over, like, oh, this is a blues song. But you like the, like you could just hear that that's where it was going. But you mentioned this being speculated being about kurt and my mind didn't go there at all because the the second verse starts i should have known i was inside of you and i thought it was a song about oh. making love to a woman. <laughs> oh. oh so now well, there was that side of you that it's about kurt i'm like i don't know about that <laughs> oh no um okay let me just think about it artistically for a minute so maybe i was inside maybe he was of you. inside his head well, or like, well, that's the worst. Well, what I was I gonna know. say, but this is the opposite. Like, I have, like, that could have been me. Like, like I have mm-hmm. part of those demons too. Like, maybe we share demons, but like, it didn't. Mm-hmm. Like, your end was your end, and my and I got to live. There's another song we talked about. Uh, 
I, it, I think it was, I don't think it's called Halo, but the one, it was the episode with Tristan when I, there was one of them where I was like, it sounds like he's singing about the fact that so many people he's known have come to a tragic end, but he kind of like got, mm. like was lucky. So I kind of get that vibe from here too. But Gabby, you could be right. I, I mean, mean, okay, yeah. let me just read these lyrics to you. Yeah. <laughs> I should have known I was inside of you. I should have known there was that side of you. Came without a warning, caught me unaware. I should have known. I've been here before. I should have known. Don't want it anymore. One thing is for certain. I'm still standing okay. here. I should have known. Lay your hands in mine. Feel me one last time. Like, this is... Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, he could be talking about an old relationship with a uh, child or not? I, I mean, he could, but there's something about that I was inside of you line that I'm like, no, what are we saying? Is this uh, a metaphor? Stop that. it's unclear, because yeah. that's not where Maybe I'm going. Maybe each first chorus portrays a different person in his life. Could be, could be, could, could be. be. Yeah, yeah. About this, this part's about that. Could be. And maybe it's the different people, right? He said he had one person. Like, it could be different people, different verses. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll never know. Well, I mean, we might never, because I don't think he's ever going to come on the show. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. You never know. Uh, Special guest last episode. Yeah, you don't know. Oh, my God, please. <laughs> All right, track 11, our final track on this journey. Walk. All right, Walk was the third single, June 17th, 2011. The only appropriate single that they've had so far. Yeah. Just uh, that yeah. I, I agree with this one, but I was like, guys, get it together. Uh, Rami Jaffe on organ on this. This feels very hopeful coming after I should have known. I feel like it's good to end on like a higher note there. It could also be potentially about the same person. There's a line I pulled saying a million miles away, your signal in the distance. So I kind of thought like maybe it's like a guiding light, a guardian angel, something like that. I don't know. To me, this has rock single written all over it. So I'm glad that it was a third Although I might have even released it as a second, to be honest. This song feels almost kind of corny to me. Like, <laughs> musically, lyrically, but I kind of don't care. It's very 90s. Um, I like the vocal change up in the bridge. Uh, and I actually think if you listen to this song and then Monkey Wrench, it kind of sounds like a nicer version of what he's doing in Monkey Wrench because he's kind of saying the words on every syllable. From Song Facts, in April 2011, Foo Fighters played this on SNL. That happened to be Dave's 10th time on the show. Wow. He's been on the show 14 times in total. He is the most frequent musical guest. The band has been on eight times. Um, and then from LA Weekly, there's a quote he says... Uh, I realize that the album is about the album. You're surrounded by friends and family and nostalgia, and you're singing about the last 20 years of your life. That became a part of the process. Uh, and he says, this song can be seen as a renewed lust for life. I never want to die. And I was like, yeah, sounds like it, Dave. We got it at the end there. <laughs> but, but I think it's a good song. You're I think such it's a, a dick. Song. What well, do you think, Kyle? I mean, you, don't, you don't worship this song? I'm surprised. Uh, well, you're a dick. <laughs> That's why I'm friends no, with your I sister. No, I think it's good. I would agree that it's a little corny, but it's like I'm buying the cheese. It's a nice feel-good song. Yeah, um, it's a very good feel-good song. And the whole album as a whole, I'm sure I'm not entirely right here with the lyrics or whatever all the meanings are, but I listened to the beginning, and it's kind of like he was scorned or done wrong, mm. and he's pissed, and he's like, fuck you, I'm done. And as the song, as the album goes, he's kind of like, has some self-reflection, and then by the end, he's like... I'm good. Let bygones be bygones. I'm going to fix myself. I can do this all again. I can do it wherever, whenever. It doesn't matter. So I just kind of like that whole theme of the album. Yeah. Because I've listened to albums before of theirs, and sometimes I can't really pick up the theme, but I feel like with this one, maybe it's just because I listen to it the most, it's like the most coherent front mm. to back. And I think the ending is really good because sometimes they kind of have like weird they choices. They do for have enders. really weird choices for it's endings. Happened. You've heard yeah, how I like, feel about them. Yeah. 
Oh, I know. I love it. But I was like, yeah, why the fuck? Of all the songs, you have Final Cut, and this is what you're picking? But I think this is... It's a, almost a smart move. Like, the, I think the most people will recognize and like this song, so end it that way. Yeah. Don't Fair. change it up, yeah. you know? Good point. I really like this as a closer, and this was the one that came on that I was like, I've heard this song before. I know this one. This is familiar. And I don't... Uh, you know, I, I think this, this song might be about, like, a lover of, of some kind or heartbreak or, like, a, like, recovering after a falling out or something. But... It took on a different meaning for me reading the lyrics and thinking about Taylor Hawkins. Like, it sounds to me like a song about uh, grief and, like, oh, wow. coming out of grief. And that kind of made it really sad in a, in a good way because it's still, like, a really positive song. But we're, like, I'm learning to walk again. I believe I've waited long enough. Where do I begin? Like, kind of, like, how do I yeah. play music again? And he's sure. just doing these shows now, which is kind of crazy. Like, I don't yeah. know. That's just where my mind went, and I got like kind of sad listening to it. But it's a great song. That's I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. Any song that makes you think is a good. Yeah, song, yeah for really. sure, for sure. Even White Limo. Yeah. White Limo. I think about <laughs> nothing. I think about that one. Uh, stealing <laughs> car radios. I guess maybe. Hi. Yeah. It makes you think, though. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's do favorite, least favorite, and underdogs. Kyle. Uh, yeah. You first. All right. I should have known favorite <laughs> okay kind of surprised by that honestly but okay i i debated about this for over a week and oh, i wow. was like is this my favorite but then i was like this is the one that i put on and i feel something the other okay. stuff i'm into it but i like really feel it so that's definitely number one okay uh least favorite white limo even though i don't like hate it anymore i'm still like yeah okay we don't yeah. need this right. and i'd say underdog i love bridge burning's opening but the drums and rope are so good that has to be my underdog i think wow. the emmy is just fantastic Okay. Those are those are good. Those are solid. Interesting. Kate, what about you? All right, so favorite matter of time, obviously. I went on a, a whole diatribe. I love it so much. Mm, you did. Uh, <laughs> uh, least favorite, I actually, I had White Limo, and then I changed it to Miss the Misery because at least White Limo is like, huh? Like, this is weird. What's happening? Whereas Miss the Misery, like, I couldn't recall any part of it for you right now. <laughs> so I'm going to say Miss the Misery. Underdog Arlandria. I, I didn't love it at first, but I think just the fact that it's, like, echoing my head for weeks, like, that's a good song. So that, that's my pick. Yeah. Uh, my favorite is Walk, which I think is typical of me to pick, like, the most popular song. It's my okay. favorite song. Okay. Um, <laughs> my least favorite, I had a tie between White Limo and These Days because I hate them both for different reasons. Um, Interesting. But I'm going to go for White Limo because I think, like, These Days still has times where it sounds like the Foo Fighters, whereas White yes. Limo makes me want to stick needles in my eyeballs. Oh, God. Um, okay. <laughs> and my underdog is going to be Arlandria. I really, really like oh, that nice. song. Oh, nice. It's a good one. Okay, so there's a little, right. still a little bit of crossover across the board. A little bit of crossover. Not bad. I think... Any closing thoughts oh, as, as the album as a whole? What do we uh, think? Overall, I really like this album. I think it, I wasn't expecting mm-hmm. them to have an album this strong so late into their career. Like, I'm waiting for mm-hmm. them to start being bad. Like, when is this going to yeah. be bad now? Because... Right. Mm-hmm. How many albums can you make over several decades? I don't. It seems unfathomable, but it's it's really great. I loved it. Uh, I think this is like the apex of their music 
Mm. Uh, personally, I think everything built to this. This is their best sound, the best he's ever sound vocally mm-hmm. sounded, the best they sound as a band. I've heard the other stuff, and you guys are going to do your pods on that, so I won't preview anything. Okay, uh, but me good. personally, I think this is uh, my absolute favorite. Uh, I do appreciate you guys let me come on here and spill my guts on yeah. this stuff. Cause yeah. People got to know how great it is. Um, <laughs> Kyle, anytime we can share our platform with you, we'd. That's yeah, it. From anytime. PSP to iPhone For, 12 yeah. or whatever I have now. Uh, first full album, it really felt like my Foo Fighter album, and it's still my favorite one to this day. That's really, it's interesting, because Kyle, this was the one that James and I took you, this was the tour we went to, right? I believe so, because it was at Prudential Center, and yeah. I had to be in high school. Yeah, And yeah, it was yeah, a yeah. great, still fun fact, my favorite show ever, President's of the United States of America. Really? Uh, James and I also took you And I've that. seen Foo yeah. Fighters, I've seen Chili Peppers, I've seen The Bets. Yeah. I was right next to that guy when he was singing Peaches. If Listen, we, if, I, if I was old enough, we could have stayed for a beer, but I don't the, think I was. The Presidents, that's it's probably one of my favorite shows too. They're, Stone they're Pony. just incredible. They were giving they're high incredible. fives. It was, and they sounded exactly like the album. They're amazing. It was fantastic. But my okay, but back to this. My closing thoughts yes. on this. We we were reminiscing. Um, a great album. I can definitely see why so many longtime fans rank it so highly. I think part of it is because. They just went back to what they know and they didn't experiment as much. What I will say is I think Echoes was really important for them to develop their sound sonically to get to this point. And I think if you listen to The Color and the Shape and you listen to Echoes and then you listen to Wasting Light, I feel like it all makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like just their development as a whole. So I think it's a really, really strong album. But I will say, and maybe it's just the singles they picked... I don't really remember a lot of these songs off the radio, and I don't know why. I only remember Walk. Like, I don't, yeah. I think, I don't think this During did this well. time, they weren't even on the radio that much. Unless it was, like, Q104. But, like, like, I don't the think Pretender these would have played was on... on the radio all the time. Yeah. Like, like I they think, had a lot of really big hits. I think maybe the, they had, the, off this album, they had rock radio hits that didn't go to uh, mainstream radio. Yeah. And, like, I don't listen to rock radio. Like, it has to be, like, a hit that sp- crosses the genre for me to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not, I don't even know when the last time is that I listened to the radio. Like, I just don't do that. Sure. And that could have been the time, too, where people were starting to do more streaming. It wasn't ads. So it could have been the timing of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe. (sighs) Well, this was fun. This was fun. Can I ask you two a quick question? Sure. From all the albums that you've listened from the first one to now, which album to you has the most, like, non-skippability? I know I just kind of put you on the spot, Ooh, but from me, the first one to now. For me, it's it's still there is nothing left to lose. Disagree. Interesting. Uh, that whole album is skippable for me. For me, <laughs> I think it's... Oh, shit. Sorry. I think, I think it's the color and the shape. Okay. Yeah. Although this, I was trying to rank in my head. I think for me, it's color and the shape, the, the self-titled, and then I would probably list this one. But I do really like Echoes. I do really like Echoes. Why so much hate for There's Nothing Left to Lose? Like, what the hell? I can't. I can't. Like, it's just. You were like, like fuck that (laughs) (laughs) album. You hate it. It's like girly and airy and like, I don't know what. I don't know. It opens with stacked actors. What do you mean girly and airy? That's a great song. Stacked is good. There's just like a song. It just sounds different to me in a way that's like not true. I feel like this really sounds like them. Yeah. Calling the Shape really sounds like Mm -hmm. them. Some parts of Echoes really sound like them, but not all of it. And I don't really think much of... I think there because there is nothing left to lose had learned to fly and that was the first Foo Fighters music video that I 
watched because it was on TRL like it was that popular mm-hmm. of a song and I mm-hmm. like that's just I don't know I guess because there's like some nostalgia to me for that time I was gonna say that I feel like an attachment to that album but yeah yeah interesting that's my answer your okay. sister's wrong <laughs> okay <laughs> good to know <laughs> well thanks for being on the pod Kyle yeah thanks Kyle Thanks for the invite. This was great. Yeah. Uh, you plug your stuff. What's your pod? Tell everyone about right. your pod. The pod is called Sweaty Dive Podcast. For those that don't know, it's a podcast about film where my friend Kyle, also named Kyle. Two Kyle. Uh, we pick one movie. Yep, two Some Kyles. Kyle. <laughs> Bad name, though, so we couldn't do two Kyles or Kyle Squared. We had to go Sweaty Dive. For those yes. that don't know, if you're very into something, the nerd term is you're a sweat or you're obsessed with it. So we went with Sweaty Dive. When you search it, we're the only ones who come up, so good Yeah, thing. good for you. Uh, <laughs> one movie a month, the movie we actually just talked about and it came out uh, today was uh, Barbarian. So if you haven't seen Barbarian, please go watch. It was good. And then come nice. listen. Are they paying you? Awesome. Why are you plugging the movie? Because it was a fantastic movie and more people should see it. I'm not getting paid at all. No. <laughs> yeah. This is all for free and for fun. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> were you in a nice. band too, Kyle? Yeah, I think I might be uh, above the moon, but Kay can plug that at the end. So, yeah, I'm in that, too. Yeah, at the end of every episode, I do. There you go. Well, thanks very much to our best guest ever and Kate's favorite brother, Kyle. Best? Yeah, my favorite brother. Thanks to the band Above the Moon for writing and recording our theme song. You can find them on Instagram at Above the Moon Music or on their website, AboveTheMoonMusic.com. If you enjoyed listening, give us a follow or subscribe on your favorite platform. And if you really enjoyed listening, leave us a like, rate us, or review us so more people can find us. You can keep up with news about new episodes on Instagram at Minor Notes Podcast or email us, minornotespodcast at gmail.com. Minor Notes is a finally cool production. Next episode, we'll be discussing Foo Fighters' eighth studio album, Sonic Highways, with filmmaker, co-host of the Effin' Nerds podcast, and longtime Foo fan, Nick Denizio. One, two, three. Finally cool!